and thank you for tuning in to Connections and Directions, our University of Michigan Civil and Environmental Engineering podcast. My name is Michelle Santillian, and I am the CEE Marketing Communications Specialist and host of this series. During our podcasts, we are featuring members of our CEE community and how their work reflects our mission of engineers in service to society. We will be highlighting our strategic directions and our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. CEE's five strategic directions are human habitat experience, shaping resource flows, adaptation, automation, and smart infrastructure finance. I'm here with Eva Albalgady, who is a third-year PhD student in environmental engineering. And Eva will be discussing today her research and how it fits into CEE's strategic directions. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. What specifically are you studying in environmental engineering? Good question. Um, so I work with Professor Brian Ellis, who broadly has a research interest in the capture and sequestration of CO2 in a variety of technologies that benefit society and people. Um, so he's got, you know, some work on cement. He's got some work on using CO2 as a resource for, you know, recovery of metals and decontamination of water. And he also has a really strong interest in CO2 in the subsurface. So subsurface is anything that's underground, anything that you, you can't see, um, gets pretty, pretty hot and pretty high pressure down there. So um, lots of interesting chemical and physical processes can shape what happens when you put something down there that wasn't there before. Um, so I broadly study, you know, how can we make sure that we can do these technologies safely if I want to store CO2 underground, if I want to use it for some other purpose like energy generation or energy storage, how can I make sure that it's safe, that we understand that what's going to happen um, and that it actually works. And that ends up being, um, you know, pretty complicated. So I really only study teeny tiny aspects of each of those problems. but. It's all about, you know, building building the skills and getting some practice. So in highlighting your research, how do you and um, other students see yourselves fitting into CEE's strategic directions, specifically with what you're studying? Oh, yeah. So I would say the first thing that I noticed about CEE when I got here was that when you ask students um, and actually, you know, postdocs, faculty, anybody um, what they're researching, you tend to get a different kind of answer than what you might get when you wander into a random engineering department and start interrogating people. <laughs> um, generally, people here like to frame their research in terms of the problems that they are trying to solve rather than the specific technologies or scientific processes that they're gaining expertise in. Um, so if I had to explain, you know, the expertise that I'm building, I would say, oh, you know, chemistry and physics in the subsurface, I would say, you know, throw out some more complicated terms like reactive transport modeling or high pressure flow through experiments or, and probably, you know, your average person would, you know, tune out and walk away and they'd be right to do that. Um, <laughs> and instead, um, I've learned pretty quickly to try and figure out where my research fits into the broader goals of the department and of the field of civil and environmental engineering, which is evolving and changing in a really exciting way. Um, so, you know, I think um, a lot of the people 
in CEE, we could be doing the research we're doing in different fields. You know, we could be chemical engineers, materials scientists, electrical engineers. There's there's no one specific discipline or area of expertise that you can say, yeah, that's that's CEE. That's what CEE is about. Um, rather, it's about sort of bringing together the tools and the expertise that you need to solve a problem that is civil or environmental in nature. Um, and so we have people who say, oh, I'm, I'm working on safer drinking water. I'm working on CO2 sequestration. I'm working on climate resilient infrastructure. And that's how they introduce themselves and how they introduce the work that they do. And I just think that that's a, that's a really cool aspect of being here um, because it's clear that you know everybody from the students to all the way up through the most senior professors are here for a specific reason, and that is solving problems. So taking that leap from solving problems to our mission of engineers in service to society, how does that resonate with you? I think about this phrase a lot. I think it's a really good um, sort of way to sum up what we are trying to do as a department um, because it is directly in response to something that has been, I think, a very long-standing misconception or misframing of what engineering is about um, that has held the field back for quite some time. So, I mean, I think a lot of people who are in engineering um, historically tended to see themselves or were pressured to see themselves as doing work that is um, in a vacuum and is isolated from quote unquote social problems. Um, so, you know, it would be a pretty common way to think about it would be, you know, I, I do quantitative work, I do experimental work, I do modeling, and it's about getting this sort of pure scientific knowledge. And I can't be, you know, I can't be asked to consider, you know, how this might impact society or how this has historically been shaped by social forces. Um, and so I think engineers in service to society, this phrase is powerful because it calls out the need to do just that. Um, this is sort of what is necessary for the field to survive and thrive. We have now realized um, that this, this way of framing our problems as independent from society is not going to work and it's not going to generate um, very rigorous or very interesting research. Um, and I think this is going to end up being kind of a, a long-form answer to this question. <laughs> um, but I think that civil and environmental engineers are uniquely equipped to sort of lead the charge in doing that um, for some of the reasons that we just talked about. I mean, if I can just give an example from my own work, it's in trying to create a CO2 sequestration system underground that harvests energy. Okay, that sounds really high-tech, really cool. You know, that's, that's exciting. Um, but a lot of people have to be involved to make that happen. Um, we might handle, you know, sort of the chemistry side of things, the basic science. We also collaborate with economists. We also collaborate with people who are experts in infrastructure. So if you sit in on one of our meetings, it's like, you know, somebody says, 
okay, well, the, the place the CO2, the CO2 comes from is going to determine the sustainability of this, so we need to think about that. Then somebody jumps in from another team and says, oh, well, this tax credit's going away, so that's going to be really important for our economic model. And then I'm on the other end on the, of the phone line and saying, oh, well, I need to make sure that I can see all the teeny tiny holes in the rock because that's going to determine the chemistry. And it sounds really chaotic when it's happening. Um, but this is, this is how we need to approach these problems because they are really big and really complicated. And so I think that old formulation of, well, my work is, is pure and my work needs to be kept separate from sort of other areas, including social areas. Actually, what a lot of people meant when they were saying that is, well, I don't have all the expertise that I need to solve this by myself. And so now we know that the answer to that is you need to work with others and we need to make sure that we have all of this perspectives that we need to do a good job. And kind of looking at CEE strategic directions, things like shaping resource flows and human habitat experience that does involve um, that broader view and that broader input that's required to make change happen. If you had to say that there was a strategic direction or directions that work you know, most closely with what you are doing, which one of those would that be or which couple of those would those be? I would, I had, I was on that website for a little while <laughs> trying to think about this in relation to myself um, because it can be really hard to, you know, figure out all right, which of these which of these boxes do I do I want to say that I belong to? Um, and then I kind of realized, you know, that's that's actually not the point. <laughs> um, that's the, the you know some of the intelligence of how these strategic directions have been designed is that if you look at them, you realize that they all depend on each other. That's the first thing. You know, you can't have adaptation without automation. You can't have automation without finance. You can't. It's th there if. The more you look at it, it's just going in a big circle. Um, and that's by design, because no civil or environmental engineering problem can be conceived of in a vacuum. Um, so instead, how I try to frame it is, OK, what are the skills that I bring to the table? What is my expertise? Um, and so where can I contribute in sort of this like little cycle of missions that we have? So I would say that I probably fit the most into shaping resource resource flows and adaptation um, with my research simply because my research tends to involve sort of material and chemical cycling um, and sort of understanding how natural conditions in the environment, which vary a lot and are really complicated, <laughs> um, how they affect sort of the material realities that we're concerned with, whether it's, you know, CO2 in the atmosphere versus underground, whether it's the chemistry of the water and how that relates to its safety. Um, that's sort of where, where my, you know, little niche scientifically enables me to fit in. And then, as you said, everything is sort of intertwined and woven together. And with that in our department, DEI is something very important. And how do you see DEI coming through in the work that you do and what you've experienced in the department as a student? Definitely. So I, I am involved with the DEI committee um, and several of the people that I've become closest to professionally and personally are also um, involved either formally or informally. Um, I would say that it's something that permeates department culture quite a bit at this point. 
Um, we were, I believe, it's a it's a pretty recent initiative. Sort of the revitalization of DEI happened as a result of students and postdocs writing an open letter um, and talking about how they would like to see resources allocated towards the DEI mission. And I think that that's that's an important piece of history because it helps us to understand how our DEI committee works, um, maybe in relation to how, you know, we might imagine a typical DEI committee works. I think that it's really important that it's, everything that we do is a product of collaboration between students, faculty, staff, collaborators. Um, this couldn't happen without this ecosystem of people who all have different perspectives and different expertise sort of working together. Um, and so how I see our DEI committee is kind of like a, a resource hub for consolidating information and resources and putting them towards projects that are beginning to mature in the minds of students or faculty or staff. Um, and that's been really exciting to be a part of. And I know that we're, we're just getting started. So I'm really excited um, for basically how we're bringing in scholars from elsewhere with our seminar program. I'm really excited for the work that we're doing with recruitment and retention um, to try and sort of fix these longstanding systemic issues and how people are recruited um, and how their, how their careers are resourced and invested and invested into different degrees. Um, I think that those have a lot of potential to sort of shape the long-term research agenda and teaching quality in our department. Um, and I'm also just speaking of teaching and because this is a project that I'm pretty close to, I'm really excited about our collaboration with the Center for Socially Engaged Design, CSED. Um, we're working on basically making justice and equity environmental racism training um, a more integral part of our undergraduate curriculum, which I think is hugely important for CEE. A lot of curriculums are, are very, very lacking in that kind of training. And as we've already discussed, there's, there's no way to separate the technical work we do um, from those problems. They're, they're all one in the same. Can you tell me a little bit more about the training that you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm participating in a project that's a collaboration between CEE, DEI, um, and CSED, which is the Center for Socially Engaged Design, which is a resource that is available to everyone across the College of Engineering um, and is focused on leveraging the expertise that the CSED people have um, towards helping us develop case studies that will be incorporated into CEE classes. Um, so we have had many different faculty members from different disciplines interested in this program. And essentially each of the students and postdocs who are involved with the pro project are assigned to one of these faculty members. We have several very knowledgeable facilitators from CSED working with us to essentially research the problems um, that they study in their classes as well as their teaching style um, and how they currently incorporate um, some of these social concerns um, and basically write a couple of case studies where we can look at either a historical case or an ongoing environmental problem um, that relates to that class and we can actually start to pick apart what are the social, economic, racial dimensions that created this problem and how has the work of engineers so far 
engaged with or failed to engage with those factors. Um, so it's in the very early stages. Um, we've only had a couple of meetings so far, um, but I'm just really excited for this um, sort of incorporating of environmental justice on a much larger scale into the curriculum. It sounds like quite a pioneering program. Definitely, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I like a lot about our department. I do think that we're we're really kind of leading the charge in terms of engineering departments at U of M, and U of M is kind of leading the charge nationwide. Um, so it's it's a really great place to be. I'm learning a lot, um, and I'm excited to take that with me to wherever I go next. And that somewhat dovetails into my next question, and that is, why did you choose CEE at the University of Michigan, and what would you tell a prospective student who's considering our program? Oh, yes. Um, so there are so many reasons. <laughs> Number one, I, I might sound like a little bit of a broken record, but the first thing I noticed um, about CEE was the people. Um, and I'm talking about everybody, other students, postdocs, faculty, staff. Um, the people are very much engaged in this culture of collaboration um, and sort of individual and collaborative growth. And so what that means to me um, is basically that, you know, from the very first time that I talked to the person who would become my advisor, Brian Ellis, um, it was clear to me that my PhD was going to be a sort of, it was going to grow out of my self-directed journey. Um, so it wasn't going to be sort of a, you know, I get sent into lab to do a specific thing. I'm not really thinking about the broader implications of my work, but everything would kind of begin and end with these conversations about what is the problem we're trying to solve? How can we bring our expertise as a research group to bear on that? And what are the collaborations um, that we might be able to form within the department and outside um, that will help us get there? And I think that that's uh, kind of unique among PhD programs, just the amount of leverage that our students tend to have in sort of shaping their own direction, determining the problems they're going to work on. The second reason of three, I'm like not even <laughs> anywhere near done. Um, the second reason that I was really drawn to UMish is the context within all of this is the context within which all of this is happening. Um, and what I mean by that is U of M is an incredibly well-resourced university. Um, I think in terms of endowment dollars, we're the second wealthiest public university in the country, um, which is saying a lot. Um, and also that it's just the, the prestige level of our CEE department is also really impressive. We're consistently a top five program in both civil and environmental, both graduate and undergraduate. Um, and so when you're a part of something like that, it means that not only do you have the space to kind of innovate, which I had touched on before, the space to kind of shape, you know, truly, truly novel and exciting research um, and teaching, but you also have the resources to do it. Um, and that's really key because, you know, there's a scarcity of resources to go around at a lot of universities, unfortunately. Um, and I'm really happy that I've been able to find support for all of the things that I have wanted to do so far and more. So it's really important that we have sort of that massive resource base in terms of people and technology um, and everything that U of M offers. And the third and final thing that was really important to me <laughs> um, 
is the fact that U of M has an in-place structure for sort of keeping the administration accountable to the people who work here. Um, so I'm part of the grad student union. Our lecturers are also unionized. And in terms of the influence that organized labor has had on campus since the 1970s, it has been really key in making sure that U of M stays a leader in DEI, that DEI doesn't actually just become relegated to something that you know you you talk about and you put on your website and you don't do anything about. But it's those are actually the sort of um, scaffolding power structures that enable us to keep the university accountable um, and make sure that resources are going to the right places so that we can continue to hire talent that is going to be innovating in the space um, and we can continue to you know have what we need to do our work so I'm very happy here <laughs> I'm super happy I came I can't I can't imagine you know um, what what I'd be doing right now if I weren't uh, getting my PhD from U of MC so <laughs> and if you had a pearl of wisdom to offer an incoming student or someone considering coming here what would that be oh so there's there's a lot, there's a lot, but if I had to reduce it down to one, um, I think it would relate to, I came in in 2020, so very early in, you know, sort of adapting to the post-COVID reality. Um, and I think that something that caused me to struggle early on was just how isolating it was. Um, and I think that, as we've already touched on, um, What's really special about CEE and about U of M also in general is the other people here. Um, and so if I could offer any advice to anybody coming in or thinking about it, it would be at, you know, your number one goal shouldn't be building skills or knowledge. That That's important, but that will happen through your, through your research, through your classes um, and just through your experiences, but rather your number one goal should be to connect with other people, learn about what they're doing, learn about their perspective on their work. And that has been what has caused me to grow the most um, and also what has just kind of kept me going when things get rough. Um, I think I'm, I'm just really inspired by the other students here. I'm really inspired by the faculty. Um, and so if I have a day where I just sit in the office and I'm trying to come up with a solution on my own. It's not going to be very much fun. Um, but as soon as I step outside and as soon as I find someone to talk to, I think it's just it's reinvigorating. It inspires confidence. Um, and that's what you need when you're trying to tackle big problems. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to our podcast conversation. For more information about CEE at Michigan, please visit our website at cee.umich.edu. You can also reach our YouTube channel and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages from our website.